Why is demand and supply chain planning so important? And how can the right solution help? Well, get all the answers you need in Season 2-Episode 33 with Sean from Dynasys as we talk about their solution and how it helps maximize end-to-end supply chains. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. First, a word from our sponsor, Border Buddy. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has created a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce shopping cart, like Shopify, Magento, eBay, and others, allowing you ease and peace of mind when selling to customers in North America. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from your door to theirs in real time. We're the first API-based custom solution. Just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com forward slash Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. With all of the tariff changes and new trade agreements, everyone is sure to be keeping busy. So I want to thank you for finding the time and tuning into the show. So this week's listener's question, it comes from Martin in the Netherlands. He asks, how many of you are still using Excel spreadsheets for supply chain functions and why? And then he says, no need to be shy. Over 90% of companies are still using them. So we had a bit of a discussion going on LinkedIn. So go and check that out on my page, Let's Talk Supply Chain. Adam, he is from Hulft. He wants to say that Hulft wants to help alleviate this epidemic. Use our platform to automatically grab Excel invoices from a mailbox and then pull out transform the data, and then put it into whichever other system where it is needed. Brian Glick, he is from Chain.io. He says, one of the big challenges is that even if you eliminate transactional spreadsheets in your own business, you can't always do the same across all of your trading partners. Having a tool to automate the ingestion of these spreadsheets is a great asset. It lets you move forward without having to drag every other company in your network along with you. This is important because this was also something that came up on Instagram. You know, it's it's there's so much control and so much that you can do in your own business. But if other suppliers that you're working with are still using Excel, it makes it definitely, definitely more difficult. So over on Instagram, we had more of a discussion going on from m.dfope says, why? Because we are not enough good to describe a better tool to informaticians. And Felicity Metcalf says, I use spreadsheets for almost everything. I consult for small businesses and often they can't afford systems to generate all the reporting required. Even if the ERP systems I use can generate the info I need, I export to Excel so I can manipulate the data. I just find it's the easiest way. Thomas, the doubter. 
says my company does. The bad part is that we use it as a replacement to the software we do have. Then most of our staff is not familiar with Excel and how great it is. And SMO Loco, I believe this is Steve, says, ugh, spreadsheets are so one-dimensional and their data are often immediately stale once you smash that send button. Inserted speed of business trope here. So there you have it, guys. Go and check it out on Instagram and LinkedIn. Become part of that conversation. And if you have any supply chain questions, make sure to send them over to me at listener at letstalksupplychain.com. Calm. So today is a bit of a different focus for my Woman in Supply Chain series. I will definitely be highlighting Lori's journey, but we will also be getting more into a topic that is important as we move forward in business. Just as some, just as some background on Lori Benson, her and I just last week led an interactive session about diversity at the Supply Chain Management Association of Ontario Conference, and it was amazing. We showcased how we can all have unconscious bias through some games we played, and we were able to provide significant takeaways that we will share with you today and hopefully give everyone the tools to keep this conversation going in their lives, in their businesses, at their companies. So first of all, here's a little bit about Lori. So Lori's career experience is focused as a practitioner in supply chain services. Lori studied as a part-time student and successfully earned the SC. SCMP, Supply Chain Management Professional Designation, in 1994, and the CPSM, Certified Professional in Supply Management, in 2011. Passionately active in supply chain, she supports dynamic and sustainable education programs and networking opportunities for the supply chain practice. She is focused on implementing innovative and compelling vendor management, global category, and supplier diversity strategies with a strong network of practitioners, Lori advocates growth and improved marketplace knowledge for supplier diversity initiatives and actualizing opportunities. Lori Benson works for EY as the procurement lead enablement. So welcome to the show, Lori. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Sarah? Awesome. Awesome. I am excited to bring you on the show to talk about diversity because you are a major voice in our industry and in this movement. So I am so very honored to have you on as a part of my Woman in Supply Chain series. So why don't we get started by you telling us about your journey to success? Sure. Um, I just want to say thank you, Sarah, uh, for Putting this podcast together, it's really important um, for those of us who have an opportunity or a platform to speak about women in procurement to actually um, use those platforms to bring forward uh, things like this so that others can can hear about journey. So thank you for that. Um, so just, you know, on my journey, you know, I, I, uh, started off my young career thinking that I wanted to do something very different. Um, and, uh, and I had a lot of 
challenges initially when I was younger, uh, really deciding what I wanted to do for a career. And it's funny because, you know, I have four daughters and, you know, I always think back when, you know, when I was raising them to how on earth do you decide when you're just out of high school what it is that you want to do for the rest of your life. And I think that, you know, through my journey, I realized that, you know, I wanted to be in business. I wanted to be, uh, you know, as successful as I could be, but I also wanted to keep my options open. Um, so when I started my journey in supply chain, I uh, decided the very first thing that I needed to do was to educate myself. And um, so so that's what I did. Um, I went out and I, I got my education and it was very meaningful for me because uh, a lot of people don't realize it. However, um, or well, some people know, uh, I was a high school dropout. So for me, uh, I came from, you know, being a high school dropout to then saying, oh my gosh, you really messed up. You really need to go back to school. You know, I was young. I thought I knew it all. What do I need to have a, you know, a paying job for? I, I was working in a factory and making lots and lots of money. Um, but I was also then getting laid off and it wasn't a consistent job. And I just found that I wasn't getting anywhere. So that's why I went back to school, got my education. Uh, and uh, understood that the supply chain profession was around and then I just put my head down and spent the next uh, five, seven years studying and getting my designation in procurement and I haven't looked back since. That is amazing. And thank you so much for sharing that part of your journey, because not a lot of people would would maybe, you know, discuss that part of it. And it's so true for a lot of people out there. And I think in supply chain, people, um, they sort of fall into this industry, don't they? It's just, it's just kind of funny how that happens. And that's why I find that it's so important to really highlight that journey to success. Now, you have been a champion in diversity. And I really think that we should talk about it. It's a big topic right now. It's something that everybody should be thinking about. So let's go from your journey to success into, you know, what is diversity? Um, so I think it's really important to note that diversity is not culture. It's not cultural. Um, diversity is about everyone on uh you know, all the differences that we have. So it could be gender diversity. It could be, um, you know, a color diversity. It could be a religious diversity. It could be a lot of different diversities. And I think what's really important about diversity is that we all have the ability to be who we really are, no matter, uh, you know, what profession that we choose. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting because I've been involved in diversity for the last 14 years and uh, 14, 15 years. And it's been really interesting because what I found is that it doesn't stop. It continues to grow. It continues to gain power. And what, uh, what I've seen happen uh, through uh, looking at the diverse cultures of people, looking at the diversity of people, is that the most important thing is inclusion. And it's when you're not being inclusive that it can be a real shock because you may find you 
miss opportunities when you're not including everyone in the conversation. Um, you know, and, and taking that opportunity to really understand that, you know, you yourself are, uh, a person or an individual that may have unconscious bias that you don't even know you have. And uh, one of the great examples that I, I have of being inclusive was I was um, talking to one of our managers in the organization and we were talking about, you know, they had a problem with a particular individual and they could not understand why they did not get along with that person. And no matter how hard she tried, she would go into the office and she would try and convince this person that, you know, it's a great opportunity. We should do this, this, and this, but she just couldn't, couldn't get her messages across right. She felt so distracted and, and so uneasy and uncomfortable. And then somebody pointed out to her, you know, you have a real requirement for tidiness. And this individual manager that she was going in to talk to had an incredibly filthy office and they were untidy. There were papers everywhere. You know, there was uh, things on the floor, things stacked on the desk, things everywhere. And it made her incredibly uncomfortable. So she couldn't focus on what the value was she was trying to bring to the conversation. So it was a really compelling story because after that, then what she decided to do was meet the individual in a common area. So go out for coffee or go, you know, to the concourse or the local Starbucks and and have their conversations there. And it was amazing what they were able to get done. And I think that when we talk about diversity and we talk about inclusiveness, they go hand in hand. And you have to be aware of your own unconscious bias and your own ability to be inclusive with others so you can see the opportunities. There's so many opportunities that are there if you just overlook some of those biases that you may have. Absolutely. And those are amazing points because I think it not only translate, it translates into business, but it translates into your personal life as well. So we're going to get into the types of bias in just a minute. But why don't we talk about what are the most common misconceptions about bias? Um, so a common, common misconceptions are that you typically you think you don't have any biases. I guess that's probably the most common. So, but what you'll find that you'll do is you'll go towards people who are like you. You'll go to prefer people or be around people or hire people who are like you. So they're not different from you. And that really is probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that, you know, you look at uh, an individual and they may be uh, disheveled. And yet that individual might be, uh, you know, a CEO of a multi-million dollar organization. You don't know until you start having those own, your own uh, realizations about your biases and understand what really makes you, you as an individual, because you can be uh, on the other end of that as well. So when you take a look at how your behaviors might impact somebody else who may have a bias towards those, it can be as innocent as the example that I explained about somebody who is, you know, disheveled, um, maybe not wearing 
the right clothes as you. Um, I remember having a conversation with an individual um, who uh, is transgender and, you know, they were dressed in a very um, loud way with rainbow hair and, um, you know, uh, different types of, of, you know, outer clothing than, than I would see a business person wearing. And that individual was an incredibly astute, smart, and uh, could deliver extremely amazing results in their organization as an entrepreneur. And if you don't take the time to get to know those things about yourself, that you have a bias, even though you think you don't have a bias, um, really that will benefit you much more if you recognize that, be uncomfortable with it, let that happen, and then you can move ahead and really let down your bias and say, you know what, I'm just going to accept this as a conversation with a person who's very different from me. And it's amazing how you can complement each other, find innovation, um, you know, and, and really have successful conversations. So diversity is about inclusion and it is also about recognizing your own uh, biases along the way. I love that. And I know you've given a couple of examples already um, with appearance and also in that example when you were talking about um, the office and how it made her feel uncomfortable because one of her attributes was, you know, tidiness. So what other types of biases like are out there? I mean, because we talk about, you know, people being responsible for their own biases and recognizing what they are. But I would assume that a lot of people don't even know what types are out there. So what should they be looking for? Well, I'll put an example in, um, in context of the procurement organization and working with suppliers. Um, because this is where I actually noticed uh, a real bias that I didn't even know was relevant or existed until somebody pointed it out to me. And I, I think it was about that 15 years or maybe even 20 years ago, early in my career. Um, well, I can't say that was early, say mid-career. And what was really interesting is I was having a conversation with someone about salespeople. And the individual said to me, well, you know, that person won't be around much longer. And I said, well, how come? And like, they're a really great salesperson, you know, really listen well, delivers great results, you know, shares some fantastic ideas, you know, leverage some value. Well, because that individual is getting older. And so I said, well, what does that have to do with anything? Like, we're all getting older. So what, what do you mean? And it was an age bias that um, companies in their sales force would automatically churn someone when they hit that mid 40s, you know, or, or 40s going on to their 50s, they would change out the salespeople because they were perceived to not be as good, not as energetic, um, you know, not as able to really, you know, uh, connect with the organizations, you know, they really wanted to show the youth out there. And, um, and I was kind of offended by that thinking, you know, gee, I'm a practitioner and this is a salesperson and the relationship is going well. And I know that, you know, there's, there's good, uh, you know, a, a, a good value in our partnering together. And yet 
you're going to tell me that you're going to move somebody on just because of the fact that they're aging. So that was a bias uh, that I really didn't even know existed. And it kind of opened my eyes. And since then, I I took it on as a, a very passionate thing. Um, you know, and I've also looked at it from a gender perspective, right? So when we take a look at certain things in our organizations that are happening, um, you know, or even in our association, you know, look around the room, look at who sitting on the executive look at the blend of individuals that are you know running the organization or you know helping to build the organization to the next level and if you don't have those diverse individuals which would be a mix of you know age of gender of uh, potentially religions you know I mean there's nothing that says you know that somebody in uh, procurement can't be you know of a different diverse background um, you know, so, so how can you, how can you, uh, eliminate those individuals, uh, from being able to be a part of your team? It's all about collaborating and find the very best fit. And that's, uh, what you need to do is to look at how do we find the best way to get the most highest performing teams so that we can all benefit from, you know, the value that, that it can bring. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you and I even spoke about, um, you know, one of one of those biases in hiring. You know, when you take a look at a resume and the person has to maybe drive an hour to get there or take two buses to get there, they might be the absolute right person for the job. But the the person on the other end looking to hire might say, oh, well, you know, that's too far to come. Right. Yeah. And there, there's also, um, actually, I think in just, just this past week, I was reading an article about a situation like that where an individual felt that, um, you know, that they wanted to do certain work, but that it was too difficult for them to uh, be able to be there, um, when they were requested. And so, you know, so you really have to think about, well, what is the value that you're trying to get? And you look at the culture of organizations and part of that culture is talking about those diversities and the diversity of work, the diversity of location, the diversity of many things. And if you had talked to me 10 years ago about diversity of location, I would have said, oh no, you know, you really need to be in the office all the time. Um, and now, the organization I work for, I've moved into a global organization and I don't have any team members that actually sit in Canada. I have team members that sit in Scotland and in the UK. Uh, my boss is in uh, Geneva. So, uh, you know, the diversity of the people that I'm touching on an, on an everyday basis is uh, phenomenal. And the benefit that you get out of doing that kind of work and it, you know, it, it might not be that it's, you know, 20 minutes from home or, or that, you know, that, that, you know, an individual can't necessarily get to the office. They may be able to do that work quite comfortably from home with all the tools that we have today and be able to actually add and contribute much more than you would expect. Um, but you have to give that opportunity there for the individual. And you also have, 
um, the ability to be so flexible with people. So if an individual, um, and I do recall we had one individual who's very uncomfortable with the subway and so would only ever take the bus or the streetcar to work. And if it was um, not available to them, it was a real problem for them to show up to work on time. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, you have to think about what is the value of being able to accommodate, right? So it's about accommodation for those individuals too. If they're a very promising uh, part of your organization, you want to be able to keep them on because you want to have them to also be there to help you stimulate the growth in your organization. So it's not about shutting the door, but it's about opening the door and exploring the possibilities, finding something that works, making sure that people have an opportunity to give you their best. But that means you also need to open yourself up to something that maybe you hadn't thought of before, like people working from a home office, or maybe even, you know, you could work in a remote um, uh, landing office. They do have those as well now. So that can also work. Yeah, I really do love that. And I think that it's becoming more and more of a topic of discussion, um, having remote teams rather than having everybody in the office. And I think, like you said, it's important to really allow people to be able to do their best work, um, depending on what that means for them. So let's get back to, you know, talking about bias. Um, how can you check? This is kind of a two part question. Um, how can you check yourself for bias? Um, and I guess we kind of answered some of that with what types of bias are, are out there, because if you didn't even know what types were out there, then you wouldn't be able to check yourself. And then how can you track your pro progress? So for different kinds of biases, they come in all, all different forms. Um, you could say, uh, as an example, I, I don't like rainy days or... I don't like wind or, you know, that kind of thing. Those are environmental type of things. Biases can come in as many different flavors. So you may not be biased towards a particular gender or orient sexual orientation or, you know, you may not be biased towards a, a certain ethnicity. You may not think that, you know, and um, just recently, uh, you know, I was, I was doing interviews, um, you know, helping out with uh, an organization who, uh, through the United Way, we were doing some volunteering and interviewing individuals for jobs. And these individuals um, have uh, different types of disabilities. And one of the things that, uh, you know, was really compelling for me was they said uh, today instead of saying that's a woman who, or you know a wheelchair bound woman you should say that is a woman that is uh, you know in a wheelchair you know or has mobility issues but always to put the individual beforehand so when you're talking about somebody and saying, you know, that woman, uh, you know, or man and their situation, that puts the person first. 
And that's so important to put the person first because it's not, you know, it's not that that individual might have an ethnicity, you know, of, of being born British or, you know, uh, American or Mexican or Hispanic. It's this individual first and always checking that first to make sure that if you're thinking about the individual before you're thinking about how they are defined by some of these other diverse factors, then you're putting the individual first. So that's a really great way to be able to check yourself and understand first I need to think of that person as a person. Then I may want to think about those other things, but first it's the person. And then you get much more um, connection with understanding, okay, the rest of that stuff really, is it, is it, it, does it matter? Is it my personal preference? Um, You know, and the uncomfortableness that goes with that could be that, you know, I don't know if that's a, a, a he, a them, or a they, uh, and, you know, or a she. And there are some in the uh, LGBTQ uh, plus communities who don't want to have the male or female pronoun. So, you know, you really need to think of the individual first by first name, by, you know, first and last name. Think of the individual. So that's one of the ways that you can really, really check yourself. And how would you sort of track your progress um, by doing that? Well, it's interesting that you talk about progress because I don't think you're ever done. Um, Even today, I still find myself thinking about things where I may have done something that maybe I didn't really intend to do, Um, you know, because it's just the nature of, of how I grew up or, you know, uh, you know, it's just something that I've always done or, you know, not that you can, you know, say that, that um, you were trained, but all of us are in some way brought up in our societies in a particular way. It's about really trying to stand out against that. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those areas where some people may uh, in a group, um, setting, they may say something. Uh, you know, I've had individuals in a group setting that, you know, have spoke out about, well, you know, I, I got this job, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I was surprised because it was really misrepresented and, you know, and, and when I got into the job, I didn't really like the job. And it's the same thing with, checking yourself, right? When you're thinking about an individual, but you don't really give it the opportunity. So, you know, did you get, did you get engaged? Did you try it out? Did you see if it worked for you? And then why didn't it work for you? Uh, The more that you can understand that about yourself. So if there's a particular, um, you know, uh, diversity that, you know, a particular thing that you're not comfortable with, then get uncomfortable with it and discover why. Um, and then check your progress along the way. You know, I know that there's individuals who, who may think, you know, they don't really understand what's going on, uh, in a particular movement. So, you know, you've got, uh, you know, some race issues going on, uh, you know, and, and you don't really understand it. It's okay to ask a question and say, you know, 
what's really going on. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on with reconciliation here in Canada today. Um, you know, this is really important stuff. And, you know, it's not that residential schools were, you know, something from 60 years ago. These are recent. This is the last 10, 15 years, um, that we've had residential schools. And there's a lot of reconciliation and recognizing yourself to being able to ask that question. You know, if you don't understand what a particular uh, term means, just Google it and find out. So to me, to know what your progress is, is you developing that better understanding so that you can then accept and accept your own biases and overcome those and be able to then move forward. So the more that you know, the more that you cannot be, that you feel not threatened and the more that you can then move forward with um, getting the, either the right people on your team, hiring the right people, getting along with people, you know, um, making the world a better place. So much great feedback and you're so passionate about it. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad you came on the show. So we've talked about, you know, the different types of bias, how you can check yourself for it. Now we really need to turn it into, you know, how do we start that conversation? Um, how, what can individuals do? What can companies do today to be more diverse or at least get the conversation started? Um, it's important to recognize that companies today, a lot of companies are already recognizing that diversity is, is, you know, again, it goes hand in hand with inclusion. And a lot of companies are feeling, uh, you know, that they need to be, uh, uh, understanding how they can use diversity, uh, in order to, uh, benefit their organizations. So, um, so it's interesting because as in conversations with, with businesses, there's a couple of things that I've seen over the years. Um, you know, I work with, um, many different organizations, CAMSI, the, the Canadian Aboriginal Minority Supplier Council. I work with Re- WeConnect International with, um, the CGLCC LGBTQ and also with, uh, WeBe Canada. And all of these organizations certify uh, 51% owned businesses w- if they are minority. So, you know, minority in the capacity. So they'll certify the individuals. And what's really interesting about this is the organizations who, um, have supplier diversity programs, which is bringing diverse suppliers into their supply chain. A lot of the companies that are doing this, so it really started off with the auto sector, understanding that if you want to sell a GM to uh, an indigenous population or to an LGBT population, you should know about them and their communities because you need to be able to sell into those communities and those communities want to know that you are giving back to them. So one of the strongest ways companies can get involved is to have the beginning of number one, a diversity and inclusion leader. That should be somebody who has the ear of the uh, C-suite 
in the organization and that can leverage opportunities in order to make their brand better. So their brand can be better by, you know, bringing minorities into their supply chain and having active supplier diversity programs. And today in Canada, this this was a, a move that started in the U.S. many, many years ago. In Canada, it's still fairly new. It's, you know, 10 odd years young. Um, however, it has a different connotation because in Canada, we know that a lot of our population is diverse. So we have a lot of different minorities in Canada. We've got, you know, eight out of 10 people are, you know, are diverse or minorities. And the individual itself is what it boils down to. The entrepreneurial spirit bringing in a diverse company could bring in some really innovative ideas. You know, procurement individuals are now uh, being looked to is, okay, what's the next step? You know, it's great that we can go in and we can negotiate great savings. We can move things. We can, you know, um, get logistics going. We can keep, uh, you know, our, our uh, factories running. We can keep our services going. And that's all great. Now, what can we do to innovate? How can we be more agile in the marketplace? And one of those things could be from looking at these diverse communities and bringing those diverse suppliers into the mix. So I'm a real advocate for that. I don't know if you could tell, uh, but that's one thing that I see companies right now that could really do is bring more diverse suppliers into their supply chain and leverage those. It's not a ticket. You know, you don't get a free ride. You still, as a supplier, need to be able to perform the services at the right price. It still has to be equivalent to, it's just, you know, because you're diverse doesn't mean you get anything, but you get to be able to join the party. Then it's up to you to uh, show how well you can dance when you get there. I love that analogy. That is great. And I, I think that companies are becoming more and more aware of the benefits, you know, of being a diverse company. I think I read somewhere that um, diverse companies generate on average 14% higher earnings, um, which is just something to even think about when you're, when you're looking at diversity and inclusion and bringing that into your workplace. So I want to ask you, you know, We've talked about diversity. We've talked about what people can do. What is your advice that you would give to the next generation of supply chain professionals coming into supply chain, coming into procurement? Um, maybe it's around diversity. I'm not sure, but what would that advice be? Well, I would say that the most important thing is being, uh, you know, new into supply chain uh, and procurement is that it'll change things things are always going to change um and and you're the change makers you're the ones that can push it forward and pull it forward right so when we talk about how can you move uh, you know, procurement to the next level and supply chain to the next level and be able to understand how you're going to undertake that 
um, you know, the change in our environment and, and our work. And, you know, it's really about the speed of change. It's, it's about how much are you really thinking about that change and how are you going to be able to deliver that message, right? So, um, you know, we, we have core competencies in procurement. You know, we all need to understand, you know, basic general, uh, goods and, and, and services and law and, you know, negotiation and processes and fairness and, you know, and, and just, you know, understanding the value of our suppliers and whether or not they're, you know, going to be long-term suppliers. How do we build a good partnership? How do we build, you know, joint ventures and alliances, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that newer folks that are coming into the procurement practice is to really elevate that. So it's not just about your practice. It's not just about being procurement. It's about so much more. It's about anticipating. It's not um, just that one piece or that one element that you might be able to bring. It's about all of those other things. Look, you know, here's an idea that I have that might actually help, you know, bring in, in more value to what we're, what it is that we're trying to get out on the market. Or maybe it'll help diversify because this is a need in that market that we're not addressing. Or here's a different way we could do something. You know, I mean, I, I remember having a conversation with an individual about their their, um, product. And, uh, and I said, well, what are you going to do about bringing stuff into the warehouse when, you know, there might be a retail storefront where you're just going to, you know, have three or four colors and maybe a few different sizes or something. And then people could pick from that, but you're actually just going to print it with a 4D printer in the background. Like, you know, procurement, are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about how is it going to change? How, how are these things going to change? Because what, exists today, if you give it two to three years, it'll be completely different, you know, and, and when I started my career in supply chain, um, yeah, I mean, we, we moved and shaked and we changed the world. We brought procurement to a different level within our organizations. Now it's up to the new generation to now think about how do you create that agility? How do you create that value in the organization? It isn't just about a cost benefit. It's about so, so much more. And, you know, and I think that the new practitioners in procurement really do need to take that and and grab it and and really utilize that to change uh, the practice of procurement and supply chain. I love that. That's really, really great advice. And I hate to wind down this this interview because I just think you're just giving so much really, really great information. And again, I love your passion about diversity and inclusion. So Let's end with, you know, what's next for Lori? What what are you working on? What what can we um, expect to see from you if we, um, we follow you on LinkedIn? Well, it's interesting because <laughs> I know that you, uh, you know, you always want to think about what's next. You always want to have a goal. Um, 
in front of you. And one of the things that I have been working very diligently on, uh, particularly in the area of minorities in procurement, is really encouraging and building the networks of the individuals. So when I have uh, the opportunity to really celebrate those entrepreneurial spirited individuals, um, you know, to bring them forward and really celebrate what it is that they're doing, especially in our marketplace, to bring a difference into our marketplace. And I just, I think, you know, building those networks and really connecting people, it's so valuable. So I will continue to do the work that I'm doing with the, uh, the certifying bodies that I am. And also we're doing a very strong push towards the government to get the government to recognize, um, you know, we have a, a prime minister who's recognizing that women owned businesses should have a stronger, uh, presence in Canada. But there's also other minorities out there that we need to recognize just as well as women. Uh, so, you know, so I think it's important to impress on it. And, you know, the day we don't have these conversations may be the day we're done. But I don't see it. I see it still being there for a long time. We've got a long, long way to go. Uh, women as a minority, uh, you know, and, and some of our entrepreneurial women, women on boards, women in leadership roles, there's still a lot that we can do to be there and make our presence known. And I will continue to do that work, um, you know, and, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, for, for a closing remark, I'm just going to try and be the very best uh, procurement practitioner that I can and bring the best value to work every day with me as my authentic self. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lori, for all of your hard work and all the awareness that you bring um, to the industry, to procurement, to supply chain. You're doing, you know, amazing, amazing work. And uh, I'm so glad that we were able to spot, put a spotlight on you today. So as more and more awareness is brought around diversity, becoming mindful of bias and being more intentional in our actions and words are becoming critical. So I hope that Lori and I were able to bring better understanding around the topic and provide ways that you can help with awareness. I will have all of the details and ways to connect with Lori at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 34. Thank you again, Lori, for being such an inspiration, for being a wonderful partner and crafting our powerful session Thank you, Sarah. and for coming on the show today. If you liked this episode, please show your support and go and listen to my other Women in Supply Chain episodes. This week, I am in Long Beach at the FDRA FTDC show, speaking about the future of supply chain with past guests, Irina Roska and Mac from Sweetbridge. Stay tuned as we might do a crossover episode with the FDRA podcast. Plus, I am a media sponsor at the event, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as I will be posting stories, pictures, and much more at of the event. So Instagram, we're at, let, at Let's Talk Supply Chain. Twitter, we're at Let's Talk S Chain. And LinkedIn, there's a page there for Let's Talk Supply Chain, as well as my personal page. I am Sarah Barnes Humphrey on LinkedIn. So next week, I have Gwen from Freight Path on the show talking about TMS and how he works with 
3PLs and freight brokers to make them more profitable. If you would like to show the to show some love and support to the show, please go and check out letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. Go and check out that supply chain dictionary, 107 pages of acronyms, definitions, everything you need to know about supply chain. Please take a few moments to rate and review the show on iTunes. This helps me get the word out. It helps other people to find the show. And I would just appreciate you taking just a few moments of your time to do that. Plus, there's ships.com. That's the platform that my team and I are working on. We are still working on it, but we are going to be letting you guys in on the secrets very, very soon. So that's ships, S-H-I-P-Z.com. Just fill in your information and you're going to be one of the first people to get to know what we're doing. And lastly, again, listeners corner, send me your questions or um, get involved in some of the conversations on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. I ask a listener question every single Wednesday. So go and check that out. Thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Have an amazing day. And remember, everybody, ship happens.